Now we're going to open up God's Word. Uh, last week we looked at Psalm 100 and it was an opportunity to uh, think about giving thanks, being grateful, and I hope you could uh, practice that throughout the week. Today we're going to look at Psalm 42. That's Psalm 42. So please open up your Bibles, your apps, whatever it might be, and turn with me to Psalm 42. Um, please follow along as I read. And it will be up on the screen as well, just in case. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are ye cast down, O my soul, and why are ye in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep course to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are ye cast down, O my soul, and why are ye in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of God. Thanks, John. Um, Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, For those who don't know me, uh, my name is Daniel, and uh, yeah, I have the joy and privilege of opening up God's Word for the first Sunday of 2024. Um, Peter kind of mentioned this in the beginning, but uh, uh, what is your uh, New Year's resolution? Um, I mean, 90% of our New Year's resolution fails, uh, but uh, besides that point, um, one of my New Year's resolutions I I told uh, my close friends is, again, I'm probably going to fail on this, but uh, we'll see how I go, uh, is to get a little bit more healthier. Um, I think uh, north of 30, uh, after I turned 30, um, I'm a bit older than 30, uh, I started to realize that uh, my metabolism, I can't rely on my uh, metabolism anymore. Um, growing a bit of a beer gut. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a problem. Um, and uh, one of the things that uh, one of my, uh, all our friends, when we gather together, uh, one of the weird things that uh, I noticed happening after we turn 30 uh, plus is uh, often we talk about our health a lot. You know, did you go to the doctor? Uh, you know, Daniel, go please uh, get a blood test. Why are you not getting a blood test, Daniel? Uh, that kind of thing. Um, but as uh, important as physical health is, and uh, please keep me accountable, everyone, uh, for that New Year's resolution that I have. Um, in the past few decades, there's been an increasing awareness, and I think this is mostly positive, uh, in uh, the theory of uh, mental health as well. Uh, if you look back maybe two or three generations ago, uh, mental health was poorly understood. Um, A lot of uh, folks back then kind of uh, brushed aside mental health. Uh, But these days, uh, most of us know that mental health is just as important uh, as physical health, right? Uh, There's far less uh, stigma attached 
to the idea of seeing a mental health specialist uh, compared to even maybe a few decades ago. Um, I looked it up, and uh, on the Australian Bureau of Statistics, there was this encouraging stat. Uh, in 20, uh, 2007, around about a third, of, I think it was like 32% of people uh, with, with uh, diagnosed mental health issues actually saw a health professional, so uh, by far the minority. Uh, last year, though, in 2022, they took another survey, and that number has increased to more than 50%. So 51.4% uh, is the precise uh, figure. And, and it continues to rise, and that's a, that's, a great, that's a great thing. That's a positive thing. And just to bring it back to the Christian front, uh, Christians are also, I think, by and large, more and more open uh, to seeking mental health help compared to maybe even a generation ago. Uh, and again, it's a good and godly thing uh, to do that. Let me just stand up here, uh, up here and say that. It is a good and godly thing uh, to seek mental health help. Uh, because often in the past, uh, especially with Christians, mental health has been treated quite poorly. Uh, it's kind of been brushed off as legitimate. Um, and when someone goes through uh, maybe a mental health issue, uh, like depression, uh, we kind of attributed it back then at least to like a simply a lack of faith. Uh, or, you know, that person doesn't believe properly, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, as positive of a trend this is, though, uh, with the rise of uh, mental health treatment and awareness, I think it's kind of overtaken the spiritual side of things. I think a, a regrettable side effect has been a, a growing, poorer understanding of spiritual depression, um, or what we would call just a discouraged heart. Um, often, you know, mental health and spiritual health, they kind of link together and it overlaps. But what's happened is when we focus too much on mental health, uh, the spiritual side of things has been, uh, you know, neglected. Uh, whereas maybe a generation ago would say every single sort of uh, mental health issue is a spiritual health issue. Now it's been a spiritual health issue. No, that's not a spiritual health thing. That's a mental health thing altogether. So we kind of, I think, swung maybe too far the other way. What is a discouraged heart? What is, what is spiritual depression? Let, let's, let's define it uh, for ourselves. Well, it's a condition where a, a genuine, uh, note that, a genuine Christian goes through a deep and prolonged sense of distress, uh, goes through dissatisfaction and, and kind of like a spiritual dissonance. You know, In your mind, you know what to believe and how to act, but then your heart and your hands, they don't follow suit. Uh, it can show up in a number of ways. It can show up in a, a lack of joy that you feel, uh, a lack of assurance of one's faith, uh, maybe persistent feelings of guilt, and, and just an overall feeling of just a disconnection from one's relationship with God. I want to invite all of us here uh, in 2023 in making this year a year where we raise some awareness of spiritual health, uh, raise it to the same level as uh, mental health has been raised uh, in the past. And to try and kind of remove the stigma attached to so-called uh, spiritual depression. And what better place is there to do that than in the book of Psalms? Uh, Psalms is the perfect place to do that. Uh, if you don't already know the Psalms, it's a big book. Uh, but it's a big book because it encapsulates every emotional expression, every emotional state uh, that we go through as human beings. And spiritual depression is no exception. And uh, for centuries, Christians have recognized uh, our psalm today, Psalm 42, as the place to go for those who are going through uh, the dark night of the soul, as they 
might say. Um, so what is Psalm 42? A bit of an intro on that. Uh, so again, this week, uh, like last week, there's actually a verse zero um, in, the, in the psalm, if you don't already know. Uh, it's in, the, in the verse zero, we get a lot of background uh, information about this psalm. It's, it's written by, a, a, in fact, a group of worship leaders. Um, the worship leaders called uh, the Sons of Korah, and that's a pretty sick name for a band, but uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the worship leader uh, group. Um, and we know that it is a sung, uh, song sung in, that's a bit of a tongue twister, sung, song sung in worship, uh, because uh, we get told that it is a masquil, and that's just the Hebrew word of a public worship song. Uh, but Bible commentators also generally agree that the song itself is about someone. It's about a specific historical individual, and his, and his name is King David. Uh, it's talking most uh, probably about when he was uh, forced to flee uh, by King Saul, if you know the uh, story uh, that might place this in maybe historical context. And, and whatever he was going through, though, he was going through the same thing that we're talking about today, this, this thing called spiritual depression. And it's interesting, the song... So the song, Psalm 42, like any good song, actually, if you look at it, has verses. Uh, it's got verses, and it's got a chorus. Um, two song verses, in fact. In fact, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are actually originally uh, just one psalm. Um, so if you look at Psalm 43, it continues on. Uh, but we're looking at Psalm 42 today only. Uh, so there's two verses, song verses here, and they're going to um, conveniently make up our two points for the talk today. So let's look at the first verse of this song, uh, verse 1 to verse uh, 3. Verse 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And again, uh, we don't know precisely uh, what specific situation David is in when he's saying these words. But what we do know from these words is uh, it's, it's the fact that his soul is not in the best of states. Uh, words like pant, uh, long for, crave, thirst, uh, these words indicate as much. Uh, whatever he's going through situationally, it's clear that David's soul is what? Well, it's spiritually dry. See, there's something crucially missing in David's soul here. Something isn't right, and he's not happy about it. And can I just say, what's amazing about this is the fact that these words are actually in the Bible. Not only that, Who's speaking these words? It's David. Who was David? David was the person that God himself said, he is a man after my own heart. But in verse 3, uh, we catch a glimpse of David's response to his uh, soul's spiritual dryness. He's overwhelmed with sadness, isn't he? Tears are his food day and night, while they... Say to him, where is your God? Or who's they? Uh, for David, it, it could have been uh, maybe his political enemies. Uh, but many commentators, and I tend to agree with this one, uh, many commentators think that this is actually a figurative way of saying his thoughts telling himself, where is your God? Right? In other words, it's just a, uh, a colorful way of saying that he was experiencing overwhelming doubt. When the voices in your head keep telling you, where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your God? He's overwhelmed with sadness and doubts. 
because his soul is not right with God. And just to help you paint, uh, just to help paint a maybe a more relevant picture, uh, let me talk about COVID for a sec. I talked about COVID last week. Um, I'm going to continue the trend. Uh, who here has never gotten COVID? Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, for the rest of us, though, uh, we know how uh, COVID feels like. Uh, for some, uh, more worse than others. But I do, uh, most of us have recovered, of course, but uh, a few statistically, and I hope none of you are in this camp, but a few statistically uh, go through uh, what's called long COVID, right? We've read a little bit about that. Uh, and it sounds horrible. The symptoms sound, oh, yeah, it sounds pretty, pretty gnarly. I mean, I've got three here. Uh, long COVID uh, results in persistent fatigue. Imagine getting eight, nine, ten hours of sleep and every day you just feel tired all the time. It also causes a loss of taste. You know, some of us, we live for food, right? Imagine if you can't taste the food that you're eating. Um, and this is, this is the worst, I reckon, our brain fog. You know, when you, when you remember, th- when you, we can't remember anything. And it's just this fog that's hanging over your head. Now, the reason why I talk about long COVID is because I think those symptoms are actually quite indicative of what David's going through here in the spiritual sense. So his symptoms in this sense were a persistent spiritual fatigue. You know what I mean? When you're just persistently spiritually tired. Uh, for David, he, he lost his spiritual taste. Right? His spiritual taste buds couldn't taste anything anymore. And, and not perhaps, not brain fog perhaps, but he was going through uh, what I've dubbed a heart fog. You know, a fog of the heart. Right? A, a heart that is just, just, you can't seem to remember God properly. Now, have you ever experienced these symptoms before? I, I would say many of us have. Uh, are you experiencing them now, maybe? This is what David is expressing here. What the words we read about in verses 1 to 3 are describing you, my friend. See, if someone like David experienced spiritual long COVID, then shouldn't it, not, it shouldn't surprise us that we would also go through seasons like it. You see, brothers and sisters, the point that I'm getting at is the Christian life. The Christian life is not supposed to be a kind of sprinting at full speed with words like radical and reckless and crazy being used to describe it 100% of the time. It's actually more often the case that we do get spiritually thirsty. It's more often the case that we are not okay. That there's something missing in our souls. Put it a different way, feeling spiritually dry for the Christian is not abnormal. It's not abnormal. Seasons of spiritual dryness are seasons that all Christians go through. Even David went through it. And here he is saying as much. But did you know that it is profoundly it is a profoundly normal state of the christian experience this this sense of feeling spiritually dry i guess what i'm trying to get at brothers and sisters is that there is nothing strange there's nothing weird or nothing unchristian about going through seasons of spiritual dryness the sentiment that we're dry and therefore spiritually thirsty i think and i've definitely treated it like this in the past we often treat it like something is wrong with my faith. 
When we go through seasons of spiritual dryness, we say, what's wrong with me? You know, I open the Bible and, and I don't feel God speaking to me. When I pray, I don't get the sense that I'm speaking to Him. Brothers and sisters, if you're feeling this way, there's nothing wrong with you when you go through periods of life like this. See, just like in the field of mental health, when we think we're feeling down and anxious, we feel like there's something wrong with us. We feel like there's something wrong with us because maybe we believe in the lie that we're supposed to be perpetually joyful or happy. Christians, in the same way, often take spiritual dryness and we misinterpret its existence as something weird and strange were happening to us. And, this is the point, we, we, we let spiritual dryness make us either give up to our lukewarmness. Or worse, and I've seen this happen a few times, we discount our faith altogether and we leave it. So, if these things often happen as a result of misunderstanding spiritual dryness, then what can we do about it? You might be wondering. We'll see how David reflects on his spiritual dryness in verse 3 here. Tears, sadness, sorrow. In other words, David, he wants out. Now, how does this work though? If you've been following along with me, you might be thinking, didn't you just say, being in a spiritually dry season is not wrong. But then now you're saying that David wants out. So, <laughs> bit of a contradiction there, right? Which one is it? Is being spiritually dry a good thing uh, or, a, or a bad thing? And, and I once heard uh, Pastor Matt Chandler use this phrase, and I think this is really helpful here. He says, It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. In other words, spiritual dryness is, yes, an ex- un- it is an expected reality of Christian living. Um, it shouldn't surprise us or make us think there's something deeply unchristian about it or make us think that we're not Christian at all. But, as David does here, we should also grieve in the midst of such a season, brothers and sisters. We want God, even though we're going through a time when we don't want God. See, it's okay to not be okay, but it is not okay to stay there. The response for all Christians, when the inevitable, and it is inevitable, the inevitable season of spiritual dryness comes our way, friends, it's to embrace that discontentment that we feel initially. It's to hold on to that kind of Frustration. I call it a holy frustration. You see, the reason why I say that is because, brothers and sisters, the temptation for us as Christians when we go through these inevitable periods of spiritual dryness is to become content with the spiritual state. You know, we convince ourselves, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the way I feel. That faith really is a mediocre thing. That obedience and passion are really not necessary. And it's okay to stay here. One of the very kind of helpful and I think deeply practical uh, ways that we can figure out, hey, am I spiritually dry and not okay with it? Or am I spiritually dry and okay with it? Is actually found in the words of David here in verse 4. So let me read it out for us. David says, in the midst of the spiritual dryness, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, 
how, how I would go through the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. What's David talking about here? He's talking about gathered worship. In our day and age, what we're doing here, gathering together the worship with the people of God. Um, and can I just say, um, today's uh, worship uh, experience just singing together was just fascinating. It, 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 was, it was so good. Um, hearing you guys sing, um, hearing everybody uh, sing praises to God, it really did encourage my heart today. Um, so, you know, thank you for that. That's what David is talking about here. You see, when someone is going through spiritual dryness, it, it's actually a very, very common, and to be honest, I understand, it's a very understandable temptation uh, to sort of detach ourselves from God's people, to, to, to be absent from the Sunday gathering. But can I just urge you all, for 2024, as we dive into a new year, to resist that temptation and to do everything you can to show up here because Sunday service, gathered worship amongst God's people is good for you, especially those of us who are spiritually dry. The last thing we should do in times of spiritual dryness is to permanently distance ourselves from the church. I remember uh, a few years back, I was speaking to someone I hadn't seen in a while in a wed- at a wedding, and, and I asked that person, hey, so how are you doing with your relationship with Jesus? Because I haven't uh, seen this person at church for a while. And that person replied, interestingly, oh, never better. Uh, he said, My relationship with God is actually better because I stopped going to church. It's weird, but I, in that moment, I understood what he was saying. Because church is tough. We have to deal with people. <laughs> We've got to deal with those around us. Uh, it's hard. It's challenging. We get rebuked. We get told off. Uh, we brush our heads with people that we don't necessarily gel well with. It's a tiring thing, this thing called church. I knew what he was saying. But a few years later, I talked to him again. And he said he's not a Christian anymore. And this is just one story of many stories that I know, and perhaps you know of as well. Friends and family who kind of found, uh, entered into a season of spiritual dryness and, and just you know, detached themselves from church. and Never came back. And You caught up with them a few years later, and they say that they're not a Christian anymore. I don't want that to happen to anybody here. I don't want that to happen to anybody in our church family. You see, the church is a spiritual oasis for spiritually dry people. So we shouldn't abandon it so carelessly, even when it seems easiest in times of spiritual dryness. You need it more precisely for that reason. And just quickly, uh, did you notice what the, uh, do you know what the uh, biggest difference between someone who is spiritually dry and okay with it and someone who is spiritually equally spiritually dry and not okay with it. You see, the former, this person, pulls away from God in silence, whereas this person pulls himself or herself toward God in prayer. That's what David is doing here. Now, let me just quickly break that down. When spiritual dryness hits you, and mediocrity and lukewarmness is becoming the default state of your faith, faith, what does David do here? 
he cries out to God in prayer, doesn't he? So what do we learn from that? Well, we should also shout out to the Lord in the desert. We should also honestly express the state of our spiritual dryness to Him. The fact that we have the words of a spiritually lukewarm David in the Scriptures not only permits you and me to go through seasons of spiritual lukewarmness, but the fact that it's found in a prayer urges us to pray these words too. To describe and express honestly about our spiritual dryness to God. Friends, this is what sets apart a Christian, spiritually dry but fighting for their faith, and a person who has, bluntly put, given up to their spiritual dryness. So pray out our spiritual dryness to God. We're invited to in this passage. Let's move on to our uh, second verse of this song. Uh, follow along as I read uh, verses 6 to 10. David says, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mitzah. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And by, the, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taught me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Now, I did say in the beginning that we don't know much about David, but what we do know, in this passage at least, is where, we, where he's geographically present. Um, so David is geographically, uh, where is he? He's, from, it, it, he's in Mount Mitzah. And if you look at, you know those, if you flip back to your physical Bibles, you see maps and stuff, you can actually see where Mount Mitzah is uh, in relation to Jerusalem. It's quite far uh, of a walkable distance. Uh, that's where David is, and it's quite far from Jerusalem, which is at that point in uh, history where God dwelt. So he's feeling the sense that geographically he's, God is far, far away from him because he's in Mount Mitzah and God is in Jerusalem. Uh, but what do we make of that? It's because of his circumstance, he kind of feels that sense that he's far, far away. And, and verse 7 actually describes uh, David sort of experiencing this constant barrage of, of overwhelming uh, waters washing over him. He, he feels like he is drowning, in other words, because of his circumstance, where what he is going through in life right now, geographically, he is distant from God. But because of that, because of whatever he's going through, he's going through a sense that he's spiritually also uh, distant from God. So his situation screams to him that God is far away on one hand. But have you noticed here, he also wrestles with the thought that God did this to me. Did you notice that? These waterfalls, these breakers, these waves, whose are they? They're yours, God. Now, what do we make of that? Some commentators say that this is David expressing trust in God. Uh, even though he's going through whatever circumstance he's going through. Uh, he's expressing that God is sovereign uh, and in control. I agree. David knows that God is sovereign and in control, but 
I disagree in the sense that I don't think this is an expression of trust. I think it's an expression of pain. Deep calls to deep, he says. That's another colorful way of saying grief. I feel grief. I'm suffering. These words express that. What is it? It's an honest, it's not a confession of faith. It's an honest confession of a broken heart. You see, it's one thing to know that God is behind our circumstantial difficulties. But it's another thing altogether to experience. Circumstances in life can make it feel like God is spiritually distant from us. Even as we know that God is sovereign and in control. And like the state of feeling spiritually dry, this too is not an unchristian state to be in. Discouragement and grief, as hard as it is to go through, and golly, it's hard. It's a reality for all of us, Christian or not. For people like David, for people like you and me. Now, I have a, I have a dear friend. His name is Charles. I met him at one of my first lectures at Sydney Uni when I was fresh out of uni, uh, fresh out of high school. Uh, I think I was 19 at the time. I met him at Sydney Uni in my first, one of my first lectures. Uh, we sat next to each other. Um, he's very different to me. He uh, grew up in, the, uh, grew up in uh, central Sydney. Um, I grew up in the suburbs. Uh, I'm a short Asian bloke. He's a tall white guy. Um, but uh, we struck up a conversation and we, re- we became really good friends because uh, I was a... I was a Christian, I became a Christian early on at that time and I was figuring out what to do with my life and I really was just wrestling with the, uh, with the fact or the challenge of just being a pastor. And he also was doing that thing as well, just wrestling with that. And, and we just became really good friends. We, we found a lot of common things that we can uh, talk about and hold on to and uh, 13, 14 years later, we're still very good friends. Uh, he's pastoring at a church um, in the uh, inner, inner suburbs. Uh, I remember the uh, one time we were sitting together, uh, just grabbing lunch at the Manning Bar, if you know Sydney Uni, you know where that is. And we're just talking, and I, I still, this memory burned into my mind. Uh, we sort of jokingly noticed uh, that every good and godly uh, and great pastor that we kind of looked up to went through some crazy pain or time of grief. Uh, and we kind of jokingly acknowledged, hey man, if we're going to like be great pastors in the future and make an impact for God's kingdom, we've got to be prepared to suffer. <laughs> and we kind of, you know, laughed about it. And uh, one of us would find out uh, what that would really mean uh, sooner than we would have liked. Uh, long story short, uh, Charles and his wife, a few years back, uh, tragically lost their, their newborn son uh, in the early weeks of his birth. And he had various health issues, and yeah, because of those health disorders, uh, Levi yeah, passed away after two weeks of uh, being born. And that was the first time that I saw a close friend going through just what I read about here. You know, the pain and the, the sorrow Charles and his wife showed when, when I met them throughout 
the process, I can tell you, was absolutely gut-wrenching for me. And you know what's funny? They didn't hide the pain or the sorrow. They, they, they didn't rationalize it and, and deny their heart crying out from the depths. They didn't do that. They, they knew what David was saying here. They knew what it felt in that moment. God really was deeply spiritually distant from them. And yet, in the pain and through the, through the sorrow, they would tell me. And they said this. We actually invited them uh, to speak about this a few years back at our conference and a weekend away. But they would tell me, through it all, God has been so kind to us. How can you say that? How can you say that in the midst of all of that, God has been so kind to me? You know, in their own words, they were actually repeating the words of verses 8 to 11. And they, they were saying, God loves me. His song is with me in the night. But God, why have you forgotten me? God, why are you okay with the pain and suffering I feel inside? They were telling themselves, every thought in my head screams out, where is God in this moment? But God loves me. His song is with me in the night. He's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. God, where are you? God is with me. God, where are you? God is with me. See, like spiritual dryness, feeling spiritually distant from God is not an abnormal thing to go through. Of course not. Unexpected things happen in our lives that are outside of our control all the time. And when we experience, when we experience loss and, and unpleasant transition in, in life, there's nothing wrong, brothers and sisters, of feeling surprised and perplexed and even discouraged in our heart of hearts. This psalm proves that the life and faith of the Christian is not meant to be a dramaless, constant, upward journey of spiritual euphoria. It's not meant to be like that. The spiritual life is full of ups and downs. Of course it is, because life itself is full of ups and downs. And just like in mental health, accepting the reality for which we live in, such and such mental condition that we're going through is actually the first step to better management of said condition, we need to also normalize, brothers and sisters, spiritual health issues before addressing them in any meaningful way. Feeling spiritually distant is not abnormal. And, and embracing the reality of our heart's feeling of spiritual distance, in fact, does actually another profound thing in us. It gets us wrestling with truth that we think we know but we do not know as deep as we ought to. See, what is David doing here in verses 8 to 11? What was my friend Charles doing in his season of spiritual distance from God? What do circumstances in life that lead to God feeling spiritually distant create? Well, it creates a space to butt our heads with truth, to learn it from experience. Why is it that, like me and my friend said all those years back, that, that 
The greatest Christians, most worthy of honor and respect, are the ones who have suffered greatly. Because they are the ones that have learnt the deep truths about God. Not just from hearing it with their ears, but having those truths burned into their hearts with fire. You see, the kindness of God, the nearness of God, the sufficiency of Jesus. Look, I know these things to a certain point. But my friend, his wife, they know it on an infinitely deeper level than me. Spiritual distance makes a way for spiritual nearness. That is one of the beautiful paradoxes of the Christian faith. When we feel that God is far, far away, that's when we actually learn what it means to have God near to us. See, correct theology is a good thing. Of course it is. We should all strive to know God rightly and properly. But correct theology evolves in our hearts into personal doxology, personal worship, when it's taken through the fire of painful circumstances. Brothers and sisters, if you're sitting there feeling spiritually distant right now because of the circumstances surrounding your life, if God feels far, far away, and you're kind of screaming to yourself, where is God in this? There's nothing wrong with your, there's nothing wrong with your faith. There's nothing wrong with you. Those feelings you feel, they don't surprise God. They shouldn't surprise us. Just like my friend did, just like David does in this verse, in these verses, we need to wrestle and fight in the midst of that. To express our emotions, anger, disappointment, fear, all of it to God and confront what you know to be true about God in the darkness. Um, Corey Ten Boom uh, says this, and it's really helpful just to close it up. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the train driver. Now, we started off our time together by learning that this psalm is you know, a beautiful praise song. It's written by King David, uh, performed by the worship team called the Sons of Korah. And our two points made up uh, the two verses of this song. Now, I want to end our time together by looking at the chorus uh, the, the center of the song. See, uh, it's a chorus for a reason. Uh, what's the role of a chorus in a song? It's you know, usually the most recognizable uh, part of a song. Uh, and it's also the place where you find the central point of the song, the main message uh, itself. Uh, what do we read there? So uh, David says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So when I feel spiritually dry, what do I do? Uh, when I feel spiritually distant from God, what do I do? Well, we covered a few things. We covered some treatments and remedies. We pray. We wrestle with truth. But this chorus uh, gives us probably the most helpful uh, treatment of all. Uh, and I say this literally, not figuratively. The treatment that we find here is to talk to yourself bit odd. Let me explain. Uh, I've paraphrased um, two chapters of 
um, Martin Lloyd-Jones' Spiritual Depression. Um, it's, it's, it's a fantastic book. I actually read this at least once a year. Um, kind of sounds really depressing, but it, it, trust me, it's a good book to read um, regularly. But uh, if you need reference, there it is. But uh, he describes it most uh, helpfully. So what does David mean here? Well, have you realized that most of the unhappiness in your life is because you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So take those thoughts that come to you uh, when you wake up in the morning. Uh, You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. Uh, They bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Well, who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. Those thoughts that make you feel spiritually dry, spiritually distant, it's talking to you. Now, David's treatment of this in Psalm 42 is this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself, literally. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been uh, repressing him and crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, <laughs> listen for a moment and I'm going to speak to you. See, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you so down? What business do you have in being so down? You you, you must turn on yourself. You must rebuke yourself, criticize yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, what God has done, what God has promised to do. And then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself Defy other people, defy the devil, defy everything in this whole world and say along with David, I shall yet again praise him because he is my salvation. He is my God. That's what David means when he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? So I mean that literally, brothers and sisters. Let's get good at talking to ourselves. I actually did this uh, this week. It's kind of awkward at the time, at first, but it, it does help, I, I promise you. If you have a mirror, talk to yourself. And it's a little bit different to prayer, but seriously, talk to yourself. Talk to yourself, literally. See, mental health awareness is good for us, like I began our time together in uh, discussing. Spiritual health awareness is just as, if not more important, arguably. And I, I hope that today's time is somewhat raised a little bit of an awareness of spiritual health. Hopefully it has. I hope that today's time has given some level of comfort to some of us here who are maybe going through a time of spiritual dryness or spiritual distance. You know, it's okay to not be okay, brothers and sisters. But let's not stay here. Let's make this year the year where we take spiritual health seriously. To learn to talk to ourselves, literally to defy ourselves, our circumstances, even our feelings, and tell ourselves, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. My salvation, my God.
So let's get good at talking to ourselves this year. Let's pray. What you'll find in a lot of the Psalms, uh, like I said last week and this week, and uh, Paul will continue uh, from next week onwards, is a lot of the Psalms is actually an exhortation for us as Christians to honestly express our emotions. Um, Some of us are better at that than others. You know, some of us are more in tune with our emotion than others. But regardless of where you stand with that, uh, the Psalms as a whole, as a book, give us permission to be honest about our emotional state, how we feel towards God, towards life, towards you know things in our lives, and just express it to God. Uh, and that's what I want to invite you to do uh, in this time. I mean, of course, I invite you to do that uh, throughout your life, but just in this uh, precious moment of just gathered worship space. Let's spend a minute or two just thinking or maybe even expressing with our, with our words just how we are with our relationship with God and just expressing that honestly and see how that helps you because it really is helpful. Uh, and then after that, uh, Peter's going to lead us into... And one of the great things about reminding ourselves of truths mixed in with emotion, like I said last week, is to sing together, to sing the words of truth with great melody. So uh, we're going to do that. Um, but uh, before we do that, uh, why don't we spend some time just being honest with our emotions to God. So I'll give you some time to do that, and then uh, we'll sing together. So let's pray. <laughs>